over the last year, God has put, the Holy Spirit has put all kinds of special people in my path. One of those special people is a man by the name of William Cothran. He and his wife, Sharon, have been such a blessing to me and to the kingdom of God. And I'd like to invite William up this morning. William and, uh, and Sharon have been involved in ministry for a... By the way, I should say, you know that God has put a person in your path as a preacher when the very first conversation you have with him, he asks, can I pray over you? Um, that's how our, our relationship began. He and Sharon have been involved in a, a ministry the Ministry of Reconciliation, and it's a ministry in which they are totally self-supporting. They take no money, uh, but they work on rescuing marriages, and they've saved hundreds of marriages over the last, uh, I guess, 20-some-odd years, is it? Over 40 years. Over 40 years. And, but that's not why I've got him up here. We'll talk about that some other time. Um, the two of them were over in China some time ago and had some experiences there. And um, I, I, that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. So, hi. <laughs> um, William, like, there are three things that really stick in my mind from our conversation. Like, you, you arrived there and you were immediately blown away by Chinese Christians. Could you tell us about that? Yes, I was. Uh, matter of fact, I was passing out my ministry cards on the street, not realizing that I could have been arrested. <laughs> <laughs> but my friend, uh, John Bentley, who had an orphanage there, uh, we flew to Gansu province, and we met with a home church. And on very short notice, they showed up, men and women, with their big Bibles. And this small church took care of special needs children, 17 of them. And there was one little girl, she was sitting on a little chair, and she was bent over, sleeping. And they tapped her on the shoulder, and she woke up, she was blind. And I started crying. And they asked me to speak. And I said, I, have, I, I can't share with you. You're Jesus' hands and feet. And you want me to share with you? you you're living it out. You're, you're true disciples. And it says in John, James chapter 1, verse 27, pure and true religion is to take care of widows and orphans. And I said, you're doing it. So I spoke a word out of Colossians for them, but they impacted me more than I impacted them. Well, and, and you, um, you, you said like you, you didn't realize that you could be arrested for handing out tracts. And of course, they'd been under persecution 
for years and, you know, and, and, and walking as, as disciples. There's something very interesting that you, you, you said to me, William. You said that, um, that they're praying for the American church, right? They told you we're praying for you guys. Would you like to talk about that? Yes, they, they said, we're praying for you. And then I asked them later, what can I pray for you? And they said, I said, what are you praying for the American church? Persecution. They're praying for persecution. They know that persecution will cause the church to grow. And the people that, that become believers, they know once they're baptized, because they know that they're going to be persecuted, maybe by their family, they're taking a risk. So they know what they're doing is very important. And that's what I teach sometimes. When I tell people, I say, there's people in other countries, if they're baptized, they could be killed. Are you willing to take that, do that for Jesus? And they were. They were willing to die for Jesus. And, and they also told you, William, that they were, um, well, that they had plans that, uh, like, to be prayed over, that they need prayers. And, and, and what, were, what, what was the nature of those prayers? Well, they asked us to pray that we would pray for the church in China to raise up 100,000 missionaries that would go through the silk routes, through the Buddhist, Hindu, and Muslim areas to preach the gospel. And they said, we know many of them are going to be killed but we're praying that God will raise up 100,000 missionaries to go share the gospel message with the Muslims, the Hindus, and the Buddhists. Well, if they, if they ask for those prayers, maybe uh, we should pray for them. William, would you lead us uh, in a prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you and praise you for this body of believers. It's a thrill every Sunday morning to get up and come to this place, to hear a great message from Ross, to see the leader of the song service, the worship service, Jabari. He does an excellent job, and it's just exciting to be here, Lord. And we, we pray that the message that uh, Ross preaches today about discipleship, that we would take it to heart and realize that we are disciples, we're learners, but the way a learner grows is to share what he's learning. And Lord, I pray for the Chinese Christians. The church is exploding over there. They estimate 160 million Christians, and I pray that it grows even more but more importantly, I pray for the American church, that we would have a passion for Christ that will, especially this church right here, will impact Denton County in a way that the early church did in the book of Acts. There's people all around us that need Jesus. And Lord, we pray that we would be the hands and feet in the words of Jesus to draw them to your kingdom because your words are power. And we pray for 
This in the name of the precious Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, William. You know, William mentioned their um, you know, figure of 160 million. It is so interesting. In 1949, when they kicked out all the foreign missionaries in China, closed down all the seminaries, closed down all the churches, killed the, many of the leaders and sent the others to, uh, to uh, re-education camps, that it looked like it was all over but the crime. And then in the 1980s and 90s, the bamboo curtain opened up and there were 80 million disciples of Jesus. And they estimate now 160 million disciples of Jesus. And I was told out at Pepperdine that the leading source of Christian missionaries around the world is China. How is that? Well, when everything was destroyed, they went to making disciples. And you can do that. You can do that whatever the situation. Salvation is free. Faith comes at a price. Faith connects you to the unlimited nature of God. Faith makes the impossible possible. Faith brings the answers that you need. Enduring faith believes that there is more and will not be satisfied with less. Enduring faith fights for spiritual breakthrough. Enduring faith transforms. Enduring faith brings answers with character. And God wants to build us into people with character. Our situation in this country is, is different. We're at a disadvantage to the Chinese. We're at a disadvantage because the enemy is not coming at us quite as directly as he's been coming at the Chinese. And because we face different temptations, but the, the call is the same. The call is to, to take on the enemy and to be disciples. Jesus, interestingly, did not call on us to make converts. He did not call on us, God forbid, to go out and make church members. He called on us to go out and make disciples. And the passage that Andres was reading at the Lord's Supper could not be clearer, could it? Keep my commands. What's my command? Again and again and again, he says, remain in my love. Remain in my love. Remain in my love. That's how we win the battle. A disciple... A disciple is not a disciple by virtue of belonging to an organization. A disciple learns by following in the footsteps of another. That's what discipleship is. And no power on earth can stop you from that. No government 
on earth can stop you from that. Uh, all sorts of things might pull you away from that, but that is the call. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, Then Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Did you get that? Did you get that? It's not the only place where we're told that. If you want life, you have to die. It's the second mark of a disciple. A disciple learns how to die. You know, any philosophy that's worth anything has to deal with death. I, I don't care who the philosopher is, whether it's Plato or some Eastern philosopher or whoever. They have to tell you how to die. Or it's not much of a philosophy. They have to teach two things. There's two things that I want from somebody that I'm willing to follow, and that is how to live and how to die. And Jesus says, don't spend your life in fear of death, and don't wait till you're on your deathbed to face death. Today is a good day to die. You know, I don't have this in the outline, Specifically, and I don't have it in the outline because I want you to write it down and I want you to take it away and I want you to never forget it. And I, I hope if you take one thing away from this sermon that this would be the thing that you will take away, and it's this. Never turn down an opportunity to die. Never turn down an opportunity to die. We're in a very different situation from the Chinese, but we're very much in the same situation as the Chinese, trying to walk with Jesus, trying to have the love of Jesus, trying, trying to put our steps in, in his steps. In order to have life, something has to die. That's true in the natural realm, and that's true in the spiritual thing. Spiritual realm, <laughs> spiritual thing. In the spiritual realm. You know, you, you have to die. You have to die to the fear that's killing you. What are the fears that threaten to kill you right now? What are the things that, like, if they happened, that they would end your world? Like Jesus says, go there. Go there with me. Go there with me and face that. You see, we, my job is to go to the cross. Your job is to go to the cross. And your job is to do that today and every day. And the Holy Spirit's job is to resurrect us. The Holy Spirit's job is to Take me with the things that need to die in me and to resurrect me.
You need to face the fear, whatever the fears are that are choking you. You, you need to bring forgiveness to the situation that, that you're in that needs forgiveness to be brought. So never turn down an opportunity to die. Because when you do, you miss out on an opportunity to really live. You miss out on an opportunity to experience resurrection. You miss out on an opportunity to experience the Holy Spirit. What are you most afraid of right now? You know, you're not going down the Silk Road right now. Nobody's going to kill you, uh, uh, you know, physically right now. But what are you afraid of? And Jesus says, follow me to that thing. Take me with you to that thing. And let me deal with that in you. And I tell you, when you experience that, it's amazing. When you experience that little death, it's an amazing thing. And you know that you can trust him. Third, a disciple hopes for death beyond resurrection. You know, the good news is the resurrection, right? We're all going to be resurrected. But the first before you can get resurrected, you do have to die. Luke 15, I mean 14, sorry, 25 through 27. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple, and whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. You know, I, I never cease to be amazed at uh, Jesus' ability to get rid of a crowd. Like, if that wouldn't send you to the exits, I don't know what would send you to the exits. You know, I, I can just imagine... You, you, you know, the, the, the trouble is, like, it's like we just, we, we take these incredibly radical sayings and we just kind of tone them down and it's like, no, I can live with that. Like, do you not, man, I mean, if a, can you imagine if some religious teacher were to say that today on their own account? Can you imagine the internet and how the internet would be responding to that? trying to destroy the American family. You're, you're destroying the flag. You're un-American. I mean, I can see a, a billboard out there condemning that. I, I can imagine, I can only imagine what they would be doing with that on Facebook today. And, uh, you know, I, I heard of a billboard recently. I didn't see it myself, but I heard about it that, uh, where, where it says, on the Internet, you can be anything you want. Why do so many people choose to be stupid? 
I really love that because like, it's the herd mentality on steroids, isn't it? If you want to know what, what the right thing is to do, it is seldom a good idea to follow the herd. Even the religious herd. In fact, maybe especially the religious herd. The only safe path is following Jesus. And it's a solitary path to the cross with him. Never look to the crowd for your spiritual path forward. Jesus says, don't look to mom and dad. I mean, does he or does he not say that? Don't look to mom and dad. Don't look to your political party. And don't look to your country. Look to me and only to me. And that's, that, that's the, a, a fourth mark here of being a disciple. A disciple listens to only one voice. Only one voice. If it's not Jesus, it's don't listen. Don't listen. Don't listen to me. Don't listen to whomever. The only voice that you want to hear is the voice of Jesus saying, this is what I want you to do. The only thought worth having is the thought that Jesus has on anything. The only place worth going is the place that the Holy Spirit leads you to. So, I can come up with all kinds of great little passages in the Old Testament for honoring... Oh, wait a minute. That's one of the Ten Commandments, isn't it? Honor your father and mother. Oh boy, like this is really bad stuff coming out of Jesus' mouth here, isn't it? I mean, I've got one of the commandments. I mean, Jesus, you didn't really say that. It's blasphemous that you said that. You know, it's not that Jesus uh, necessarily contradicts Scripture, but he sure does contradict our understanding of it a lot of the time. When we idolize Scripture, when, when we take our concept of what the Word is saying and we, and we put that on a pedestal that we idolize, he's apt to come back and take it down. As human beings, we don't understand, we stand under. And sometimes he undermines our understanding and he sure does that in Luke 14. And, and, and Jesus creates conflict. Sometimes he goes to war for your soul. Have you noticed that? In Matthew 10, 34 through 36, do not suppose that I've come to bring, bring peace to the earth, for I did not come to bring peace to the earth, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Okay, so like we've still got issues here with the, the Ten Commandments, right? But, but wait a minute. At Jesus' birth, isn't he called the Prince of Peace? Don't the angels say peace on earth and goodwill towards man? 
What was said then? How do we square that with what Jesus says now? Well, you know, the fact is both are true. Both are true. And this is another really important thing to understand. A disciple understands only in relationship. A disciple only in relationship with Jesus can you understand when, what the peace is and how the peace is obtained and only in Jesus can you understand the conflict. And if you don't, you'll be going to war where you shouldn't be going to war and you'll be at peace where you shouldn't be at peace and you'll be you'll be fighting all the wrong battles and you'll be winning all the wrong things. See, using human reason, you can discover rational principles and codes of ethics, but only in Jesus, only by the Holy Spirit, can you understand spiritual reality. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? You know, Jesus is not very big on expert opinion either. Have you noticed that? The more people know, the less they seem to know. And he says to the experts, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life, but the scriptures point to me. Our faith, like from first to last, it's in a man. It's all about your relationship with Jesus. And with him, it's all or nothing. But it's an amazing all. It's an amazing assurance. Because at the end of the day, the only assurance that you've really got is personal. And, and, and Jesus doesn't want to dominate you. That's so interesting, isn't it? I don't know how many times I look in Scripture and I think, like, Jesus, just tell it to us straight, would you? Why are you playing with these guys? Why, why, why are you playing with us? Why are you asking questions when people ask you questions? He doesn't want to dominate. He wants to partner with you. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I learned from my father I have made known to you. Six, the disciple knows Jesus as a friend. You know, being a disciple is not just, Jesus, what do you want? Give me a list. Give me, Jesus, give me your to-do list. Give me a one, two, three. Tell me what I can do. No, Jesus is saying, no, let, no, we're friends. What's on your heart? What's your question? 
Yeah, how many times has he asked people, what do you want? I mean, he doesn't just jump in and say, here's what I want. He says, what do you, what do you want? What are the answers that you seek? I won't just give them to you, but I'll help you see. It's a relational journey of trust. And God just doesn't want servants. He doesn't just want servants. Jesus doesn't just want servants. He wants us to be friends with him. And he wants to be a friend to you. And that has got to be the best news in the world. And there's something else, and I want to end with this. Matthew 18, 1 through 4. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child, he's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Seventh. A disciple becomes like a child. The goal is to become like a child. Like, do you get that? It's not like start out like a child and we'll get you incredibly mature before we're done. He's like you will become more and more childlike the more that you come to know me. Well, of course. Of course, we're just, we're just here for the blink of an eye. And the more you come to know God, the more you come to know that you don't know. The more you come to know that your understanding uh, it, it, it's in need of a lot of work. The more you come to know God, the more humble you get. But that's also wonderful, isn't it? Because it means that we get to heaven and we are just a bunch of little kids streaming in and running to the Father. And it's all just beginning. <sighs> Disciples, that's what he wants. Just people who will just walk with him. Are you walking with him? Are you ready to give your